So Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 3 through to verse 23. This is God's word. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it is also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to, excuse me, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins." He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, that by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on heaven or things on earth, having made peace through the blood of his cross, and you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Amen. We thank God for this truth from his word. We're going to pray and ask God for his help to understand his word before we look at it together. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for this passage from Colossians. We thank you for what the whole Bible teaches us. We pray that you would help us today to understand it, to believe it, and to put it into action in our lives. 
We ask, Heavenly Father, for the help of your Holy Spirit. We know that what we are doing here is something supernatural. It's beyond the, the, the ability that we have ordinarily. And so we pray that you, by the power of your Spirit, would help us in our minds and in our hearts and in our actions. We ask for that help in and through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and King. Amen. Well, as you know, uh, or I think you should know, we're beginning a new series today. And we're thinking about the fact that we are in King Mills congregation approaching an election of elders. And so we need to think biblically. We need to be informed by the Bible about who it is and what it is we are looking for in an elder. Now, before I begin properly, uh, let me say this is not something you should switch off for. Um, it's not something that's irrelevant. This is something that is, I suppose, for the voting members of the church. And so maybe you're not a voting member and you're wondering, why do I need to know about this? Well, it's important that you know and understand what kind of elders we're looking for. Uh, I, I suppose I, I should say as well that yes, this series will probably tend more towards teaching than preaching. But by its very nature, this is a series about Jesus. It's a series about the bride of Christ, the church. And so it's not bland or boring. It is all of grace. It is filled with the goodness and the compassion of God. And so I hope that in the midst of, of all that we're learning, we will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will hear the good news that Jesus died for the sins of his people and that he is redeeming them for an eternal relationship with him in his glorious kingdom. And so today I want us to begin there, to begin with the gospel. At times, I think some of us have, have quite a small view of the gospel. Perhaps we limit it to something regarding an individual person's salvation. Now, the gospel is definitely about the salvation of individuals. It is definitely about each person having a personal relationship with Christ. But it's not just about that. It's bigger than that. We've just read from Colossians. The, the gospel is about the renewal of all things through the person of Jesus. The gospel is about, through Jesus, this world becoming the world it was always meant to be before Adam and Eve lost it through their rebellion. The gospel is about what we've just read from Colossians 1. Look at verses 19 and 20. It pleased the Father that in him, in Jesus, all fullness should dwell and by him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And so the entirety of the Christian faith from start to finish, from A to Z, 
In fact, the whole of human history, from the beginning of creation, even forever, is centred and built upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reconciliation that we have, not just as individuals, but as a whole community, as a church. It's centred upon the peace that has been accomplished for us through the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. And so maybe if I can just stray a little towards what we will do this evening. That's why the Lord's Supper is is such a cosmic and eternal event. It's something that we should all make a priority in our lives. Go back to Jesus as the foundation of our faith. Someone once said this. I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched and all the navies that ever sailed and all the parliaments that ever sat and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man upon the earth as much as that one solitary life. Jesus is so much more, so much more than any other person or thing that has ever existed. And he didn't come just to call individual sinners to repentance. He did do that. But he did more than that. He came to establish a new and everlasting society on earth. Jesus promised that he would build his church. And it's to be the most powerful and only eternal society on earth. And so we come to key questions we need to think about when it comes to the election of elders in this church, in the church of Jesus Christ. Firstly, we need to think about who runs the church. Who is it? And secondly, we need to think about why or how the church is run. How? So firstly, who runs the church? Any functioning society needs to be governed. Uh, It's maybe a bit boring to say that, but we need a government, don't we? Now, I know that Northern Ireland doesn't currently have an executive in place. In fact, I think we might actually hold the record for the country that's gone the longest without a functioning government. But you know as well as I do that we're basically living in a direct rule scenario. We do have a government. It's the government in Westminster. And so, no matter whether the government is a good one or a bad one, every society has a government. From the democracies of the Western world to the dictatorships of somewhere like North Korea, each society has a government. And you know this well, any organisation or society you're involved in, whether it's a, a bowling club or a scout group or a sports team, they all have government. They all have some kind of of structure to make sure things are run well and they're properly organised. And so when it comes to the election of elders in the church, we can get carried away into thinking that we are electing the leaders of the church. But that's not actually the case. The elders are not the answer to the question, who runs the church? We might like to think of ourselves in the church as a democracy. 
We hold an election and the members get to decide who the elders should be. But we're not actually a democracy. The church is not a democracy. The church is a theocracy. We don't have a man or a group of men at our head. We in the church are the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Westminster Confession of Faith defines this best. It says this. It says the visible church consists of all those throughout the world that profess the true religion and their children and is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the house and family of God out of which there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. Then it goes on a couple of paragraphs later to say there is no other head of the church but the Lord Jesus Christ. It is Jesus who promised to build his church. As a society, the church is not run by men or women or anyone else apart from our Lord and Saviour, our King and our Redeemer, Jesus the Christ. It's to him and to him alone that we owe allegiance, obedience and submission. I read this quote in the past week. Slavery to Christ alone is the true and only freedom of the human soul. Slavery to Christ alone is the true and only freedom of the human soul. And so when it comes to this question, who runs the church? Well, the clear and obvious answer of scripture is the Lord Jesus Christ does. Look at verse 18 from Colossians 1. We've just read, he is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the one who runs the church. Then we come to our second question. How? How does Jesus run the church? And there are two answers to that question I want us to focus on today. The the first is by his word and spirit. It's a bit of the the nitty-gritty of how the church is to function on earth. Christ governs us through his word and spirit. What that means in practice is that the things that we believe and the things that we do in the church are given to us by God in the Bible. You will know that the shorter catechism says what the scriptures principally teach is everything we are to believe about God and the duty that God requires of us. And so the Bible has everything that we need for both faith, the things we believe, and practice, the things we do. Now there are some things we cannot know from the Bible. And therefore these are things that we can disagree about without having to split the church or or fall out with each other. An example might be, what time should we meet for worship? Should it be half past ten or twelve noon? The Bible doesn't tell us. And so we can do either of those two things without falling out with anybody else who does the opposite or does the other. And by the way, I, I do both. Do both of those. But what is non-negotiable is that it is the duty of a Christian person to worship God on the Lord's day. That's clear from the fourth commandment. 
It's clear from the instruction of the, the author to the Hebrews in chapter 10 not, for, not to forsake assembling together. We are bound to that by what the Bible says. We, we have to do it for Christian people. Otherwise, we're sinful. Let me give you another example. How does Jesus govern by his word? Well, each Sunday, somebody stands here in this pulpit and preaches. And there are plenty of things that I say from the pulpit that you might not judge to be correct. And so you are not duty bound to believe them. For example, I might say something like, Dremore is the best place in the world and you should all go there this weekend. You don't have to believe that. You don't have to do it. I know it's a wise and sensible thing for me to say, but you don't have to believe that. But if what I say, or anybody else preaching here, if what they say is in accordance with God's word, and that means they, they've interpreted it correctly and explained it correctly and applied it to your life, then you are duty-bound to live by that. That's what God says. So if I say something like God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit are one God, co-eternal and co-equal, well, then you have to believe that because it's the teaching of the Bible. It's not my teaching, it's the Bible's teaching. Jesus is governing by his word. If I say what I said to the boys and girls, that you should love one another, well, that's a duty that you have to agree with. You have to adhere to it and obey it in your life. Not to do that is sinful. It's disobeying the commandment of Jesus in his word as he governs us by his word. Jesus also governs his church by his spirit. And I make this distinction because it's important to say that the church is a spiritual institution. We are not a bowling club or a sports club. That means that we, we believe things beyond what we can see and taste and touch and smell and hear. We do things that are of little value in the physical world because we believe they are of spiritual value. Let me mention again communion this evening. I've said this before, a, a tiny piece of bread will not satisfy your hunger. A small cup of wine will never quench your thirst. But... We don't believe that we are doing something physical. We're not trying to to quench our thirst or to satisfy our hunger physically. The Lord's Supper is a spiritual act. And so Jesus has given his spirit to the church as a gift and a blessing. Those who are members are members of the church not because of what we do, What we do is an external demonstration of something spiritual, something internal, that we have been born again of the spirit, not born of the flesh. And so we cannot exist without the word of God, nor can we exist without the spirit of God. And these two, by the way, are are not different. They're not doing different things. They're, They're like the two wings of a bird keeping the church of Christ in the air. Christ governs through them together. They don't oppose one another. They work in tandem. They're one and the same. For example, then I I try to pray each Sunday before the sermon. 
I ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. I refer to this as a prayer of illumination. Because listening to a sermon is not just a human activity. Yes, we use our ears. And yes, our minds need to be engaged. But what we are doing is also spiritual. It's supernatural. I wonder if you've ever thought about that. Have you ever thought about that as you're listening to a sermon? There is a power from outside of you which can help you concentrate. Isn't that amazing to know? The Holy Spirit wants you to listen, to understand, to believe and to act upon the teaching of God's word. Something supernatural is happening right now. If you're a believer in Christ, you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. And he is guiding you into all the truth that Christ has blessed us with in Scripture. And that leads me to say that Christ governs by his Spirit because it's through the Spirit that we even have the Word of God in the Old and New Testaments. The Bible was written by holy men as they were led by the Holy Spirit. So when Paul writes in 2 Timothy, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word inspiration is closely tied to the word spirit. It even sounds similar in English. So to say that Christ governs by his word and spirit, it is worth distinguishing those, but they're not too separate. They're really saying the same thing. To be governed by the word is to be governed by the spirit and vice versa. Now, what does all this have to do with the elders of a church? Well, that brings me to my next point. How Jesus runs the church. He does run the church by his word and spirit, but he does so through the ministry of men. Now, if your interest is, is piqued by that word men, well, yes, I mean men. And next Sunday is when we're going to be thinking about that topic specifically. But like I just said, we wouldn't have the Bible if it were not for the Holy Spirit. But neither would we have the Bible if it not, were not for the men who were inspired to write it down. And for the most part, we would not know it if we had not heard it preached. We would not understand much of it if it were not explained. That doesn't negate or the need or value for you to read the Bible yourself privately. And maybe that's something at the start of the new year you've committed to do that more consistently. That's a good thing. But we do need the preaching of God's word in our lives as believers. We, we can't ignore that. Romans 10 tells us that preaching leads to believing, which leads to worship. And so the preached word is indispensable for us. Let's broaden this a wee bit to, to the election of elders. An elder then is a man who seeks to exercise power in the church on Christ's behalf. That means he does so according to the word and spirit. He leads as a minister of Christ. Minister, by the way, is just a word which means servant. And so, you know, I love that I get to be your minister, your servant. I love that. It should be said that anyone holding the office of an elder is a servant 
of Christ and his church. So as you think about who you might vote for in an election of elders, you should be thinking about someone who will serve you in the name of Jesus. And that might mean that he will do something you don't like, but that he believes it's for your good according to the Bible. Because he is seeking to honour Christ and not other people. Somebody who is seeking to honour Christ and not please other people. An elder is not an elected, like a, like a politician, to represent a constituency. That's often how eldership is thought of, uh, that an elder is a representative of a certain family, perhaps, or, or an age group. That's the elder for the young people. Or a group of friends within the congregation. Person you should be thinking about electing should be someone who will shun that to do what is right in the eyes of God, even if it's not popular. That's hard. An elder in the church leads the church on Christ's behalf. Remember, Christ is the head, and so an elder leads the church by deferring to the word. And the Spirit of God in all he says and does. Any power an elder might exhibit or exercise. And listen, elders do have power. But that power only applies if the word of God has been correctly interpreted and applied. And so you're free to disagree with the decision of the Kirk Session. You are free to to disagree with anything I say. Either from this pulpit or, or, or privately. But you need to be able to disagree on the basis that either what is said is, is extra to the Bible or it's contradictory to the Bible. Friends, I think that's a wonderful safeguard. Elders do have significant power in the church, but it's only exercised in accordance with the word and spirit of God on behalf of our Lord and King Jesus Christ. This also means something very significant for every one of us who are members of the church. And we are all members of the church if we're professing faith in Christ. It means that if the Kirk Session decide upon something, and they have done so in a spiritual and biblical manner, then we must submit to it. And that can range to any number of things. Deciding who or should or should not be admitted to baptism. Deciding when or where our services of worship are to be held. Perhaps some of our mission and evangelism priorities. We're going to get into all of those specifics and practicalities of the role of the Kirk Session over the next number of weeks. But for today I want you to hear most clearly this. Jesus Christ is the sole king and head of the church. Because through his blood, we who were once alienated and enemies in our minds by wicked works, we have been reconciled in the body of his flesh through death so that we can be presented holy and blameless. We have been qualified to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. It is Jesus who has delivered us from the power of darkness. And conveyed us into his kingdom. It's in him that we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. 
church is all about Jesus. He governs us in his grace and compassion through his word and spirit by the ministry of men. So let me pray for us.